Greetings and salutations out there, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, Michael Shibley, your humble host, back for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators. Recording this one actually on a Wednesday morning, so it's a little bit later than usual. I apologize for that, but I had to see what happened in Game 6 of the World Series between the Astros and the Nationals. And it didn't disappoint. My goodness, there is controversy. The Nationals, though, winning as home teams have now gone 0-6 in this World Series. There's going to be a Game 7. We'll talk about that here in a second. But my goodness, we have got a load of stuff on this glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Of course, we're going to talk all the college football. Hey, Tennessee, they won again. My goodness, I can't. I'm so happy about that. We love it here on Modern Day Gladiators. My 49ers are 7-0 and for the first time since 1994. You've got, oh my goodness, you've got controversy in things with Major League Baseball. You've got the NCAA making a huge decision when it comes to their future. And then, of course, you've got everything going on in the world of professional wrestling and more. We're going to talk all about that, but let's dive right back in because, again, the only thing to me that's going to take place of all the greatness happening in the world of college football is that there's a Game 7 tonight between the Houston Astros and and the Washington Nationals. It was Game 6 last night. My goodness, you had Verlander versus Steven Strasburg out there, and the Nationals were able to get the win 7-2. They were able to get Verlander out in the fifth inning, so you had things like that happening. My goodness, what a just a, a game where you got guys carrying their bats around to first base, which was just weird with the home runs that they had. And it looks like, of course, you're going to have in Game 7, you've got Max Scherzer versus Zach Greinke. So you've got some big things happening. I am excited to see. You had ejections last night because, my goodness, you've had some interesting calls as some of these games have gone on here in this World Series. Which, And again, we have talked about robot umpires in the past on this show. Heck, there's even a show that's titled Robot Umpires Are Coming. But let's dive right into this just real quick, and we'll just kind of backtrack for those of you who haven't been paying attention, where in Game 5, first of all, you had Garrett Cole pitching a gem, but then you go into the seventh inning, and you have uh, the Washington Nationals had just finally gotten on the board with a home run, but then you have Zimmerman on with two outs, uh, local uh, boy, at least... For me, in Virginia Beach, he graduated from the same high school. He was in my sister's graduating class. Ryan Zimmerman been playing for the Nationals for all these years. He's up. It's a full count. There's a ball that's high and a little bit outside called ball four. Garrett Cole thought it was strike three. Uh, he was pretty much ready to celebrate getting out of the inning because he knows he's going to get pulled. But Zimmerman ends up walking over to first base. Then you have uh, Robles up. It gets back to a full count. Another pitch, high and outside, even farther outside than the one that was called ball four. That one was called strike three, which the Nationals players could not believe. Robles was already walking down to first when he got punched out, which, again, is one of these things. And when you look at stuff, yes, they always talk about how umpires are right 90% of the time. Why only 90% of the time? Why not be right 100% of the time? Which is what these... Ideas with this robot umpire where it knows the strike zone and calls it where it's supposed to be. It looks like Major League Baseball is bringing in something from 
I believe the company's Hawkeye or the Hawkeye system. It's the same one that's used in tennis with their uh, video review. So, again, these guys know what they're doing when it comes to the ball and where it's supposed to be and everything. I honestly can't wait to have it. And you've even had some players talk to reporters off the record there, and they said they were against the idea of robot umpires until now. So it looks like that might be something that's on the way. We'll have to wait and see. And you know it's going to be at least one more year of having it probably go through trials in in the minor leagues. So we'll, we'll just see where it goes. But again, I understand that there's a human element and all this other stuff that happens. But my goodness, that was just... You, you, you have to be consistent. There has to be consistency there. And that's the thing. If you're consistent and you're calling the strike zone properly, that's fine. But then when you get off like that, that's stuff that just, it, when it overshadows a great game that Garrett Cole pitched, and the Washington Nationals were all making sure that that was what, the, what lost them the game. And that's what it was. Don't get me wrong. That was a bad call where, yes, it was 4-1, to one, and if... Garrett Cole looked like he was losing a little bit of his of his stuff there in the seventh inning, so it looks like he was going to be able to maybe they were going to be able to get a couple more runs back to to decrease the lead, but that's not what lost them the game was that one call. Garrett Cole pitched a beauty for the rest of the you know for for the previous part of that game, and then they just couldn't get anything going. So that was game five. Now you have game six. Where it's a one-run game, the Nationals are up one, you've got a runner on on first, and then what ends up happening, again, for those of you who might have gone to bed and didn't see what happened, here is where everything just kind of went crazy in a crazy seventh inning. What ends up happening is uh, Trey Turner for the Nationals hit a little dribbler in front of pitcher Brad Peacock for the Astros. Um, Peacock's throw to first base hit Turner as first baseman Yuli Gurel stretched for the ball and Turner made his final step for first base. The ball rolled away and you know the runners were advancing, but the umps said that Turner was out for runner interference. So you have all these different things and then they, they took like five minutes to review this, which was ridiculous. And then though what ended up happening, which kind of kept things, I think, where it needed to be with where the Nationals were going with this. Anthony Randon hit a two-run home run to make the lead 5-2 to two for the Nationals. They end up winning 7-2 to two to force Game 7 tonight. But then, after the inning ended, between innings, Dave Martinez, the Nationals manager, was all over the umpires. He had to be literally restrained by his assistants after what happened. He was furious. The first manager since, of course, Bobby Cox for the Atlanta Braves to be (laughs) ejected from a World Series game since 1996. It was just one of those crazy things that happened. Of course, people are comparing the call to uh, Don uh, Deckinger, who, of course, was the one who called out the guy who was obviously, I think it was the 1986 World Series between the Royals and the Reds, Someone listening out there, come back at me at Michael underscore Shibley if I missed that one. Where a guy was clearly, clearly safe and was called out. It was, my goodness, it was one of the worst calls you've ever, ever seen. But it's one of these things. Now, of course, you have people who are arguing both sides of this rule when it comes to that. You have, like, the idea that, and and the argument that I'm at 
because the rule is always the batter or the runner has to run in the running lane where you look and it's a little bit out in foul territory. And they're saying Turner never stepped one foot in that lane. So if the throw hits you, you're going to be out because it's runner interference. So you have that. However, what you also have to look at and consider here is one, it was a bad throw. It was not a throw that was on the line. This was coming from the third base foul line area on that side where the pitcher threw the ball to uh, the first baseman. So what you have there, though, is it's not the catcher who just grabs it right in front of home plate and throws it right down the line. You have one where what happens is also the ball got there after Turner already stepped on the bag. So if he's already technically safe, how is that runner interference where he already got there? There's just things where, again, you've got to pay attention. Now, again, you can't have robot umpires for things like this with a human element yet. But balls and strikes, I am all for the umpires getting that away from them because also it will shorten the damn game. So that's what we'll have to see. We've got Game 7 tonight. We've got Zach Greinke versus Max Scherzer. Game 7, Minute Maid Park. There's two arguments that I have here. One is... The the pitching matchup, I've got to favor Scherzer. Even though he wasn't, it seemed, well enough to pitch in Game 5, I think he's going to pitch here, and he's just been amazing all season long. Zach Greinke has not been as good, but he's been still very good. Not great in the postseason, but okay. He's had some struggles, I will say that. But then you look at how the home team hasn't won a game yet this series. I keep thinking someone's due at this point. So it's it really, to me, a toss-up, but I'm going to go, I think, right now with the better starting pitcher, especially if he's fully healthy. I'm going with Max Scherzer as my pick. I've got the Nationals winning Game 7 and winning as a franchise their first World Series, which would be great for Washington, especially when you look at how awfully dreadful the Redskins have been all season long, make fans there feel a little bit better. So we'll just have to kind of see where it goes from there. Speaking of baseball, we'll get into this in a little bit. Well, no, let's talk about it right now. I've got it. I've got the paper right here to talk about. Uh, There was something in Game 5 that was some controversy. I was going to talk about this in shibbles and bits, but since, hey, we're talking baseball right now, let's just hop right into it. It was announced that President Donald Trump was going to be in attendance at the baseball game, and he was. He was there for Game 5. Did not throw out the ceremonial first pitch, which is what President's do. I've got a whole list and I've got a collage of pictures. You can check it out on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. I'll post it on Instagram as well. You look at all, it started, of course, with Woodrow Wilson and then, of course, you know, Calvin Coolidge, Warren G. Harding, all these guys throwing out a ceremonial first pitch from the grandstand. You've got Kennedy, you've got Nixon, you've got, you can just find all these pictures of all of them. Then, of course, the president started to throw from the mound. You've got Ronald Reagan. You know, George H.W. Bush. Uh, Then you've got George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. All these guys have thrown the first pitch. And yes, they're all not throwing exactly from the mound, but they're out there. My goodness, it it just was something that, you know, and of course the president said he didn't want to do that because of all the body armor he was going to have to wear, which is something that I find funny because George W. Bush stood on the mound in Yankee Stadium months after 9-11, 
or barely over a month after 9-11 and through a perfect strike wearing a flak jacket on the middle of the mound there, you have FDR stricken with polio from the grandstand throwing out the first pitch. You have all these different things. I'm just like, just go out there and throw the pitch or throw it from the grandstand. That would, you could harken back to the old presidential tradition there. I mean, Obama never threw, I think, from the mound perfectly every time either. So you have all these things, yes, and it might bounce. But honestly, if you walk out there and throw it, that's more respect than not doing it. And he said it would have made him look too large wearing all the body armor. Mr. President, I've seen you in your golfing photos. You're plenty large already. It's not going to be any different. You're getting to Taft territory when it comes to some of these things. So just chill out with that. He was shown on the video screen, uh, the fans there in D.C. Now, again, the D.C. area is very uh, – is, is more a democratic area of the country. Uh, they tried to kind of, of see where it was interesting because – you had um, the video screen cut to shot of U.S. service members who immediately stopped booing. They stopped booing U.S. service members because obviously you should never do that. And then it went uh, when Trump was on there, there were boos and chants of lock him up, which is, of course, the as the impeachment inquiry and everything, which, is, again, it's not a political podcast. So you want to talk all that stuff. Listen to any of the umpteen political podcasts out there. But, of course, that goes from the lock her up chance with Hillary Clinton uh, that was chanted at plenty of the pro-Trump president rallies that you had, even though, you know, the emails were, have been proven to not have actually done anything wrong. But, that, again, not a political podcast. It was just really interesting to see, again, not throwing out the ceremonial first pitch, I think, to me, was the biggest detriment. Because, honestly, if I'm... The president in that case, and you know you're going to get booed, walk out there with a smile on your face, wave. Hey, if you throw a strike, throw a strike and just walk out there. That'll just put everybody who already likes you into this huge category already that it just galvanizes everything there. Or if you just don't bow to the haters or, you know, because again, because you know, one of the things he'd always say is it would have been the perfect first pitch if I had actually been out there and throwing it. So, again, but it was funny because what they did do, the Nationals announced this, uh, this was wonderful. Chef Jose Andres, a vocal critic of Trump's, was the one out there throwing the first pitch. Four years ago, uh, Andres withdrew from plans to open a restaurant in the Trump International Hotel in Washington following Trump's controversial comments about Mexican immigrants during the presidential campaign. The Trump old post office, which uh, runs the hotel as the landlord under lease with General Service Administration, sued Andres' companies uh, in July for breach of contract and claimed damages of $10 million. Andres' companies filed a counterclaim. The case uh, in D.C. Superior Court was settled in 2017, all this other stuff. Anyway, Andres came out through from the mound and got it there. Zimmerman had to reach out 
but he didn't bounce it. So he threw, I guarantee you, a better first pitch than I believe the president would have thrown had he waddled out there and thrown one. If you have a debate with me on that, again, hit me up, Michael underscore Shibley, or talk to me on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. Of course, check out everything on outlandermedia.net as well. My goodness, we've got so many great shows. DLC Respawn, Deadbeat Radio, Haffle, Geeks Inherited the Earth, Scared Stupid, so many more shows to come. It's just amazing. We're taking over the world. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts, an Apple podcast, Google, Spotify, we're there. And please, if if you like what you hear, and if, uh, if I've given you some valuable information, However you listen, just please take another 30 seconds and give me a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. I would love you forever if you were able to do that. So there you have all of that good stuff. Switching over to, of course, all the greatness that was college football over the past week. Again, we have another top five team going down. These noon games, man, have been knocking off some of the top ten teams. Oklahoma landed with a thud against Kansas State on the road, fell into a deep, deep hole, almost climbed out, but it wasn't enough there in the Little Apple in Manhattan. So Oklahoma now has one loss. If I had to pick, again, my four playoff teams right now, if the playoffs started this week, I would have LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson in that order. I think Clemson has worked its way back. Again, the ACC is still terrible, but Clemson, again, is just blowing people out in a terrible ACC. They're still in there. Of course, you've got some plenty of these other teams. You've got Penn State right there knocking in. You've got some of these other teams that are right there as well, Florida, Georgia, Utah, Oregon, they're all right there. So we'll have to see how this all goes. Again, LSU and Alabama 1 and 2 in the media poll, in the AP poll, they're going to meet November 9th, of course, for the big matchup that they have there. Another 1v2, that's going to be November 9th. So, of course, we'll talk way more about that on next week's podcast. And, of course, we're going to break all this down, all the great college football stuff. Myself, Trey Pack, on the Friday edition of Modern Day Gladiators, the big college football heavy one. But, of course, we've got great games this week. When you look at, especially here in the SEC, over in the SEC East, you've got Florida versus Georgia, the old cocktail party from... Jacksonville winner of this one will be by far in the driver's seat in the SEC East. You've got the game day gang. They are going to Memphis. They're going to be hanging out obviously on Beale Street and probably eating at the rendezvous for some great ribs there as undefeated SMU travels to Memphis to take on the Memphis Tigers in a top 25 matchup. SMU is 15, Memphis is 24. So that's going to be awesome to have that. Game day was up in South Dakota for the South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Dakota marker game, which was great to see. Just a great atmosphere. I love when they go to places they don't always go to like this. I think that's a lot of fun. A couple of the other news and notes from this past week in college football, Oregon, they're especially with Oklahoma losing, the more of these teams losing later in the season, Oregon, they keep winning. Yes, they dropped to Auburn back at the beginning of the season, but they're still in it. They're seventh ranked right now. They're back in the conversation. They won a wild game against Washington State, but they're still there. Utah, they lost that one game to USC. They're still plenty in the mix as well. I'd lo- I mean, if Oregon and Utah both get in with one loss to the Pac-12 championship game, 
that could have major playoff implications as everything shakes out. So you'll have to see Utah having a tough game. they got to travel up to Seattle to play Washington. That should be a very exciting game, though, up in Seattle. You've got Baylor, now the only undefeated team left in the Big 12. Michigan just trouncing Notre Dame, running wild in the rain there. My goodness, what a game that was for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. I don't say saving his job because I think it would be stupid if Michigan just fired him because you're not going to get any better, I think, than Jim Harbaugh, really, Michigan. So that's what they have there, but it does eliminate Notre Dame now from any idea of getting into the playoff. Now let's look at what happened with my beloved Tennessee Volunteers getting the win over the South Carolina Gamecocks, 41-21. And you look at the score there and you would think, wow, Tennessee got all the breaks in this game and Maurer started, which didn't happen. Neither of those things happened. Tennessee gave up, what, a 79-yard touchdown on the very first play from her 75-yard pass play? On the first play from scrimmage, my goodness, you fall in a hole and you're like, oh, this is going to be how one of these games is going to go. And then it was really interesting. My hat's off to Jeremy Pruitt and the coaching staff with the way they handled the quarterback situation, I thought, in this game. Because Maurer, again, did not play, which, again, I think was smart. If if Maurer can't play because of the concussions, don't play him. So you had that. But then you started J.T. Shrout. He was announced as a starter, which almost is one of these things that they had to do to just to prevent the course of booze from coming down from the stands if you announce Garantano as the starter. But then Shrout didn't even take the first snap. Juwan Jennings took the first snap and ran from Wildcat. Then you put Shrout in, you run a couple of trick plays, you do those things. Shrout plays the first couple of series. But then you bring in Garantano, which I think is what they wanted to do in the first place. They wanted him to play the majority of the game because, again, I think still he gave you overall the best chance to win. And Garantano played a very good football game. So whether you like what he's done or not, he played really, really well in this game. And Juwan Jennings just had himself a game and a half. My goodness, 170-plus yards, two touchdowns. And again, just a just a bulldog of a run there in the first half. With what, Just what a great run. Just take, running and throwing South Carolina players this way and that. And again, Tennessee did not play well at the end of the first half, giving up that late score to give up the lead in the first half. But then Tennessee just comes right back. Garantano hits Jawan Jennings in the end zone. What a great catch that was. And Garantano taking a lick in that game as well. I think it was broken on his non-throwing hand. It looks like he's going to be okay and available to play against UAV, which is interesting because you still got to snap the ball and do all types of things with your non-throwing hand in college football. So that's something that you have to look at. But Tennessee, again, Helped itself two special teams touchdowns. You had Callaway get the first touchdown of the game for Tennessee on a punt return. And then Batuli, who again had an amazing game as well. 15 tackles, a tackle for loss, 
a pass breakup, three great tackles at the goal line with South Carolina. Then you had the punt block, and then he also recovered the ball for a touchdown to put the game away. So you have all that. Juwan Jennings and Daniel Batuli are were your SEC offensive and defensive players of the week. The first time Tennessee has had both of them in the same week since 1994. You also had Kennedy as your offensive lineman of the week. That's been one of the big things. Tennessee has played great these past few games on the offensive and defensive lines, which is helping immensely in all aspects of everything else that Tennessee has been doing. But then you have to look at things. And we'll talk more about this, of course, with Trey on the Friday show. But you look at what also happened. Tennessee still didn't play their best game. You've got UAB coming up, and you should win this game. But UAB is used to winning. They won their conference last year. They're 6-1 and one on the season. They're coming off a bye. Now, they have not played anybody as of yet in, in their schedule. Tennessee is going to be by far their toughest opponent uh, to date. The only other really decent team that they played was Western Kentucky, and they lost that game this season. But this team, they are used to winning games. They're going to come in and they're not going to be intimidated at all walking into Neyland Stadium. Now, Tennessee should win this game going away. That Again, but we said that about Georgia State. So just keep those things in mind. But Tennessee still has some things to work out. First of all, Tennessee almost had a perfect game when it came to a lot of stuff. They didn't have any, they didn't give up any sacks and they didn't have any turnovers. So that was great. There were no turnovers in the game at all. But also, again, Tennessee, you're not going to get bailed out with two special teams touchdowns every week. That's not going to happen every week against UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Just not going to happen. Then you also look at Tennessee. When you have great wide receivers, this can help. But Tennessee's average on third down was third and 8.7. That was Tennessee's average yards to go on third down throughout this game. That's something they're going to have to clean up. Yes, you have all the great wide receivers. That makes things a lot better. But my goodness, that's still tough to look at over everything. And also, one of the things you also have to realize is uh, that Tennessee's time in the red zone is still awful. Their red zone offense, they had a great you know, 17-play drive or whatever it was and they end up with the and then they try and throw a pass play, which was just stupid. I would have just tried to hand the ball off again, just like down with Alabama. But Tennessee in the red zone is just a nightmare, and they're going to have to get better at that this this coming week against UAB, or else they're going to they're going to get bit by somebody in the SEC. So Tennessee's going to have to improve there, and I think they can. They just got to. Sometimes you can't overthink things. Jim Chaney has been great as an offensive coordinator with Tennessee, but my goodness, some of the stuff they're doing inside the twenty-yard line has just been just dumbfounded, in in my opinion. So we'll have to see where all that goes. But my goodness, the Vols won, and again, they've still got to win three out of the four to go bowling, but they've got a good chance to do it here on the back half of their schedule. We are going to take a quick break, and then on the back half here of Modern Day Gladiators, we've got everything happening with shibbles and bits and everything in the world of professional wrestling. It's coming up here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Outlander Media Network.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You hear the music, you know it's time for Shibbles and Bits here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. I'm still the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley. And to help me still be the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, we got to thank our sponsors, Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee. JoeShirt.com, you've got great ideas for wanting any type of shirt design that you've got for whatever you want to do to help your brand or, you know, teammates, whatever. You've got a comedy troupe, you've got a kickball team, you've got just yourself or great stuff for a podcast, merchandise, you're a pro wrestler and want just great t-shirts. Joe Shirt can help you do that. JoeShirt.com, they've got great ideas. They've been doing this again in Knoxville here for over 30 years. They know what they're doing. They can help you be amazing with the great shirts that you have. So check them out again at JoeShirt.com. And we've got to thank Otherworldly Coffee. Otherworldlycoffee.com. Check out the great coffee. It's liquid cocaine, as some of the other guys here from the Outlander Media Network have said. It's just amazing coffee that'll get you up and going for your day. You've got the Dogman Blend, the Bigfoot Blend, the Mothman Blend. Just amazing, amazing coffee. Go to Otherworldlycoffee.com. Check them all out. At checkout as well, if you use the code OUTLANDER, all caps, so you got to yell at them, you're going to get 20% off your order, which is just amazing. That's going to cover far more than just your shipping and your taxes. So check it out. It's a great deal. Again, otherworldlycoffee.com and, of course, joeshirt.com. Thank you guys again for your continued support of the Outlander Media Network and us here at Modern Day Gladiators. Let's dive right in to shibbles and bits. I've got, again, more stuff here to talk about. My goodness, the NCAA has now cleared the way for athletes to profit from names, images, and likenesses. So they, again, saw all the California, of course, leading the way. But then you have other states that have wanted to do stuff. There's even an idea on the federal level to have some of these things happening. So the NCAA... Almost as a way to to bend to the whim of change, but also, again, to keep things under the umbrella of the NCAA because they don't want to lose all their power, which it looks like the way some of these states were making it, it was going to just almost kill the NCAA. We'll have to see. But they did say that they're going to start the process of modifying its rule to allow college athletes to profit from their names, images, and likeness, quote, in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. I don't know exactly what that means. So we'll have to see what they talk about. And of course, they're going to work to see that the rules are transparent, focused, and enforceable. The board wants each division of NCAA, and of course you've got Divisions 1, 2, and 3, to have new rules by January 2021. The California law was not going to go into effect until January 2023. Of course, the NCAA is saying that the new rules would not follow the California model of a virtually unrestricted market, allowing for athletes even to get endorsement deals. I was not a big fan of the idea of them getting endorsement deals. I was fine with them, again, doing autograph signings, Or at least, you know, have a YouTube page and get monetized there or their Instagram and things like that. Again, what so many other people in college and everything are able to do. We'll have to see where this all shakes out. But one of the things, again, that has cost the NCAA, I think, in this, it's not fully the NCAA's fault by any means. It's just in the NFL and the NBA... 
they have never really worked to have a proper minor league system. The NFL has no minor league system. College football is the minor leagues. You'll, you, we'll see what happens maybe with the XFL at some point. But college football has been the minor leagues for the NFL. And then the NBA, you didn't have one until they developed the developmental league, or now it's the G League. So because of that, college basketball and football especially became the minor leagues, especially when the NBA put in that you couldn't go right out of high school to the NBA. So you had this minor league system where you had this top talent. And minor leaguers in all other sports, if you play in a minor league... They get paid. It's not amateurism, quote-unquote, like college athletics. So you look at all of this, and you've got these guys coming from these different things, and everybody else is making money off them, but they're not getting everything. And again, we yes, we know they get a scholarship, but that's not enough to cover everything, especially from some of the backgrounds that some of these guys come from, where they don't have a lot of extra money to walk around and spend. So again... I still like the idea of being able to have the name, image, and likeness. Who knows if that means I'm going to finally get a new NCAA football game for PlayStation again, but I would love for that to happen. I don't know where that's going to happen. EA, and again, they've talked about this on DLC Respawn plenty, but just come up with some more loot boxes that you can make kids dumb enough to spend all their parents' money on and come up with enough money to pay the players at least a little stipend to be in the video game. So we'll see where, again, this all shakes out. We've got a long way to go with it, but it's good to at least see that they acknowledge that they need to do something. But of course, the NCAA is also only doing this because they're, they were probably going to lose all their power that they really had. So we had a couple of other things in baseball that happened over this past week as the World Series has been going on. The Houston Astros owner, Jim Crane, had to write a letter of apology uh, to Sports Illustrated uh, writer uh, Stephanie uh, Epstein. She was the one who wrote a story that said that in the celebration during after the American League Championship Series where the Astros were celebrating going to the World Series, that uh, assistant general manager for the Astros, Brandon uh, Taubman, shouted to a group of female reporters including one wearing a purple domestic violence awareness bracelet and reportedly yelled, Thank God we've got Osuna. I'm so bleeping glad we've got Osuna. For those of you who don't know, uh, Roberto Osuna served a 75-game suspension for violating Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy stemming from an incident that happened while he was a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. So what ended up happening, and again, that is a very inappropriate thing to say. We, we should all as a group understand that that is very inappropriate. However, what happened was the Astros, when asked to quote on this, denied anything that that happened, and they went about trying to just dismantle the woman and her reporting when it came to this until other media outlets who were also there in the room conferred her story. So now the Astros were under almost threat of just looking like complete and utter schmucks. They still do. The optics is not really good on this at all. So they end up firing uh, assistant GM Brandon Taubman, uh, which, again, if this reporting had just come out and they hadn't tried to bury this story and totally just go after the reporter, they probably could have just suspended him for a little while and things would have blown over. But they made this even worse 
than it had to be. So bad move there on the Houston Astros. And it was just a distracting from, again, the start of the World Series. Also, we talked about umpires early. This was an interesting one. Uh, umpire Rob Drake, not a part of this World Series crew, but he was a longtime umpire. He had to apologize uh, after this week after sending a threatening tweet that included reference to a rifle. He came out and said he tweeted late last Tuesday, so over a week ago, that he planned to buy an AR-15 rifle because if you impeach, all caps, my president this way, you will have another civil war, uh, MAGA 2020. So, again, threatening to shoot people in a civil war, and again, not a politics podcast, but impeachment inquiry is a perfectly and legal under the Constitution. I'm not going to get into all the rules, but it's perfectly legal what they're doing in the impeachment inquiry. So, again, you want to debate me on that? You can also hit me up on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. I will talk to you all day about that. But, again, umpires are supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be you know, fair and consistent and not show favoritism when it comes to things where when you look at just, and again, you're allowed to have your political thoughts, but threatening violence is something that an umpire shouldn't be doing as a face of Major League Baseball. That's not a good way to do that. But he did apologize. We'll see. They haven't fired him yet. We'll have to see what Major League Baseball decides to do there. We'll take a look here at some of the other good things going on in the sporting world. These always make me happy. Tiger Woods winning his 82nd PGA Tour title, tying Sam Snead atop the list. He won the event in uh, in Japan over the week. So good for Tiger Woods. Makes me happy to see. Looks like maybe he's back to being fully healthy. We'll have to see what happens. Of course, the big test is going to be next April in Augusta. So we're always looking forward to that. Maybe Tiger can defend his green jacket and win yet another Masters Championship. That would be awesome. Maybe he'll win another event and finally break Sam Sneed's record. That's stood for a long, long time with slamming Sammy Sneed. Another really, just as a great athletic feat. I always love big athletic feats like this. Um, uh, Nepalese man, uh, shattered the previous mountaineering record for successfully climbing the world's 14 highest peaks, completing the feat in 189 days. Uh, Nirmal Purja, 36, scaled the 26,340-foot Mount Shishapgangma, uh, uh, forgive me if I did that wrong, in China on Tuesday. It was the last of the 14 peaks that are more than 26,240 feet in height. The previous record for climbing the 14 peaks was seven years. He did it uh, in 189 days. So he just shattered that record. So, but congratulations to him on that. That's just great feats when you look at everything. And again, he is a, uh, just again, a wonderful look. Persia, the, the man, he joined the British Army in 2003, quit earlier this year to begin his mission of climbing all the highest peaks in record time. So, again, congratulations to him. And, again, anything man can do with great athletic feats, I am always just, just so proud and excited to see. So, happy for him. Meanwhile, NFL Power Rankings, as we've gone now through the first eight weeks of the season. So, we'll go through this I'll break it down for you here. Actually, I'm sorry. Uh, and we'll look at everything. 
power rankings. I've still got the Patriots at number one, though they're getting threatened to me by the 49ers. The 49ers, again, throwing up half a hundred against the Carolina Panthers. A lot of people thought the Panthers were going to finally end the undefeated season of the 49ers. That was not the case. My Niners undefeated at 7-0 for the first time since 1994. I am loving every second of that. You also look the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees came back, didn't miss a beat. Granted, it was against the Cardinals, but still, still looking very strong. The Green Bay Packers still... Aaron Rodgers, another amazing throw in just a long list of that. I've got the Chiefs and the Ravens right behind them. And then you look at the rest of my power rankings when you break everything down again. Who who knows at this point where all this is going to shape up, but I've got the Vikings and then the Seahawks at 7 and 8. And then I've got the, the, the Texans and the Rams are still there. They're still good teams. We'll just have to kind of see where the rest of this is going to shake out. The Colts, though, I've got rising up in these ranks. The Colts with Brissett have been just a very big surprise that a lot of us had going into the season. So I'm very high on the Colts winning their division. And then back on the back half there, trying to knock on the door of the playoffs. I've got the Cowboys, the Bills, and the Eagles. We'll see where all of this again shapes up, but it's shaping up to be, as always, a very exciting NFL season. Meanwhile, you look at everything going on in the world of professional wrestling. We've got, again, some controversy again with the optics is just not good on this, no matter where you look at it. But NXT's Jordan Miles, uh, known in the indies as ACH, He uh, criticized his employer, the WWE. He wrestles in NXT right now after the company designed a t-shirt that evoked racial stereotypes. Just look on Jordan Miles' Twitter handle and just or just search it, and it's got his name, Jordan Miles, in a smile, like a big white-toothed smile on a black shirt with red behind it, It, you know, more teethy, and everything, which again just shows that just racist sambo in imagery. But again, the optics aren't good. I'm sure they didn't consult him with it, and just creating the merch. It's just it's not good, WWE. And you've already got enough problems too, because it it, it it's just again I don't know why you're doing things like that. It's just. And it's no longer for sale, so they did take it down, but oh man. And meanwhile, the WWE, the ratings continue to kind of drop. Raw is down around 2 million, which is not good. And Monday, there was no World Series game for them to compete against. Yeah, there still was Monday Night Football, but it was the Steelers and the Dolphins in just a terrible game. And then meanwhile, SmackDown, they had to move it to FS1 because the World Series, of course, takes precedent on Fox. And yes, it's the first time there, but it was still under a million. It was only like 900,000 people watched that. Meanwhile, AEW Dynamite continues to just be enjoyable and not insulting my intelligence at all. Cody Rhodes and Chris Jericho had a great promo back and forth. Jericho with his inner circle in the skybox and... Cody was in the ring. They were blowing air horns at him. But then Cody, with a call out to his former employer, said, you know, Jericho, unlike the place we used to work to, these ropes, referring to in the ring, is not an invisible wall. I can step through and go up there and beat you up. 
which is what happened. He got some reinforcements from his brother, Dustin Rose, and, uh, you know, uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF, and DDP making a return, which was great, and they fought the guys at the inner circle. Jericho, in just beautiful heel fashion, just screaming as their security is taking away Cody and the rest of the faces, you know, taking him out of the building, holding up his ticket with just this just whiny look on his face. It was great. It's like, I we bought tickets. We bought tickets. It was just it was great. That's what wrestling's supposed to be. Don't insult my intelligence with all this other dumb stuff you're doing. Just have great stuff like that. It was wonderful to see. It was just great. I had a lot of fun watching it. AEW has been killing it so far, and I hope more people continue to watch it because again, it's being great competition to whatever's going on with the WWE. And we'll have to see. Of course, the WWE, of course, this week has their new show in Saudi Arabia, Blood Money in the Bank 3, as I'm calling it, or, uh, you know, Halloween Havoc, some of the other people. I've heard some other names. Some great puns with it. I, again, will not be watching. Yes, there's title matches and all different things. I'll tell you what happened. I'm not going to watch it because, you know, when your uh, country kills a journalist... Uh, that's an American resident, he's still not going to be a good fan of yours for that. So, and again, that's just my thing. You want to debate me on it? Again, hit me up, Michael underscore Shibley. But that's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, stay tuned on Friday for the big show with myself and Trey talking all the great other stuff in college football. Can't wait to see you there. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Please, again, give us those five-star reviews. It helps us get the word out there and spread everything about the greatness that is Modern Day Gladiators and the Outlander Media Network. But until next time, too sweet, love ya, see ya next time.